Thank you for tuning in to the True Suspense podcast, completely free with no interruptions from advertising. If you enjoy what you hear, we would greatly appreciate it if you would follow or subscribe and rate and review our podcast. It helps new listeners find us. Please note that Season 3 includes a description of a serious shooting incident, so listener discretion is advised. Buckle up and get ready for True Suspense. Arthur Perlstein, and this podcast from the True Suspense Collection is Night Raids. Here is Episode 4, The Rocky Road to Justice. The Lawrence County Sheriff's Office remained mum in the months immediately following the death of David Hooks. The sheriff himself would only say that it was, quote, Lawrence County Sheriff's Office policy not to comment on active investigations by a state agency, unquote. There were no apologies, no suspensions from duty, no suggestions that any policies would be under review. The investigation had been turned over to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, the GBI, which declined to share autopsy results or any other preliminary findings. The GBI simply stated that, quote, when the investigation is completed, it will be turned over to the district attorney, unquote. The Hook's family attorney, Mitchell Shook, urged the FBI to get involved, alleging, quote, abusive policing practices and suspicious events, unquote, before and after the deadly raid. Shook called for a probe of alleged excessive use of force, civil rights violations, conspiracy, and fabrication of evidence by the Lawrence County Sheriff's Office. He referred to a, quote, full assault on the Hook's residence, unquote, with a battering ram, assault weapons, black hoods, and paramilitary tactics, quote, normally reserved for serving high-risk, no-knock warrants, unquote. Mitch Shook was persistent in his efforts to uncover more information about the raid. By early October, he issued a statement with his findings up to that point. The following is taken word for word directly from that statement, quote, Our investigation into the tragic death of David Hooks has uncovered new information. One day after we asked the FBI to get involved in this case, we now know our investigators' assessment of how many shots were fired that night is correct. 
the return of the search warrant indicates 17 shell casings were found on the premises. One casing was found in the carport, which indicates that at least one shot was fired prior to entering the doorway of the home. An additional 16 shell casings were found inside David and Teresa's home. A total of 16 projectiles were recovered from many different locations inside the home and David's body. 14 of these projectiles were found by the GBI and two were recovered by our investigation after the GBI had released the home back to Teresa. Based on this information, we now believe David was shot at least three times with at least one shot being to the head. We have also learned from a reliable source close to the Lawrence County Sheriff's Department that Sheriff Bill Harrell was on the scene and participated in the illegal raid which resulted in David Hooks's death. Perhaps this is a reason the Sheriff's Department is taking a stance of complete silence regarding this matter. Unquote. And Shook added this, quote, If Task Force Agent Chris Brewer with the Lawrence County Sheriff's Department can post on social media that his critics are, quote, idiots, and that he is not bothered at all by this event, why can't the elected sheriff give his constituents some much-needed answers to this tragedy? Unquote. Around this same time, Mitchell Shook's push to gather information took a strange turn. Shook had hired private investigator Christopher Frost, a former FBI agent, to assist him. A high priority for Frost was to question Rodney Garrett, the jailed thief who had started the whole ordeal. Frost arranged for the interview to take place at the Lawrence County Jail in Dublin, where he met Rodney on October 1st. The two of them sat down, and Frost started asking his questions. Just a few minutes in, however, a deputy suddenly came and whisked Rodney away, saying that a jailhouse official needed to talk with him immediately. The interview stopped and never resumed. Investigator Frost said he had never seen anything like it. The circumstances became more suspicious the very next day when Rodney Garrett was moved to a jail in a different county, 50 miles away. Even Rodney's court-appointed lawyer was unaware of the move until a week later. When questions were raised about the interview having been cut short, officials were completely evasive. Much of the public outcry focused on information revealed about the search warrant that set up the raid in which David Hooks was gunned down. The big question remained, how could the word of a strung-out meth addict known for telling lies to police the very thief who had, less than 48 hours earlier, robbed the Hooks' property while high on meth, be used 
to justify a full-on nighttime raid on the home of the victim of the crime. Let's take a closer look at Sergeant Chris Brewer's affidavit and application for the warrant. As we briefly reviewed in Episode 2, Brewer's affidavit contained a great deal of boilerplate, starting with identifying himself and the property to be searched. He claimed that at the Hook's property, he had reason to believe, quote, there is now located certain instruments, articles, persons, or things, namely controlled substances, in particular methamphetamine, paraphernalia necessary for manufacturing, packaging, cutting, weighing, and or distributing controlled substances, currency of the United States obtained, connected with, and or possessed, to facilitate the financing of illicit drug trafficking, unquote. Most of the rest of the affidavit consisted of more boilerplate about Sergeant Brewer's own experience and so-called, quote, advanced training with investigators involving controlled substances, the many drug-related search warrants he authored and or executed, the number of drug-related arrests he had made, and so on. Then, he finally got to the two factors leading him to conclude the search was necessary. First, of course, was the word of the thief, Rodney Garrett. Brewer explained that during his nighttime burglary at the Hook's property, Garrett had removed a neoprene bag and a digital scale from the center console of the pickup truck with the assumption that the bag contained money. According to Brewer, quote, After traveling into the city of Dublin, Garrett discovered the bag contained a large amount of suspected methamphetamine. Garrett stated that he then became scared for his safety and placed the bag and scale into a locked box, unquote. There was no mention of the actual quantity of meth found on Garrett when he was arrested, only that it was, quote, a large amount, unquote. As we learned in episode two, another sergeant investigating the case referred to the amount of meth by saying, quote, it ain't that big of a deal, unquote. And Brewer himself later testified that such an amount of meth, quote, really ain't that much dope, unquote. There was also no mention in the affidavit of other critical information about Garrett. For example, Sergeant Brewer made no mention of Rodney Garrett's criminal history, including that he was a suspect in multiple thefts that had recently occurred in Lawrence County, that he was suspected of dealing in stolen property, and that there was a warrant out for his arrest for a theft unrelated to the hooks. You'll recall Mr. Mendoza's green truck. Sergeant Brewer's affidavit 
also left out Rodney Garrett's extensive history of methamphetamine purchase and use, including that he had a regular supplier of methamphetamine with whom he was then living, from whom he had purchased 3.5 grams of meth less than three days before the Hook's burglary, and who had previously fenced stolen goods for Rodney. Brewer left out Rodney Garrett's admission that he had smoked methamphetamine before, during, and after the burglary of the Hooks property, including having smoked some of the meth that he professed to have taken from the Hooks property. Sergeant Brewer failed to mention that he knew Rodney was a meth addict and knew at the time of his arrest he was under the influence of methamphetamine and had not slept in seven to ten days. Brewer did not disclose in the affidavit that he and the other officers who were present for Rodney Garrett's interview were aware that Rodney Garrett was under the influence of methamphetamine at the time of the interview. Nor did he disclose that Sergeant Brooks and other officers knew Garrett's propensity to lie to law enforcement and his own family, and that he had never previously provided any accurate information to law enforcement officers. While leaving out all of that obviously pertinent information, Sergeant Brewer did make the claim that Rodney Garrett had been very forthcoming in admitting things and that he, quote, provided other information which led to the recovery of stolen property which law enforcement was unaware of prior to this confession, unquote. In other words, Brewer was suggesting that Rodney Garrett could be believed about the meth at the Hooks property because he was so cooperative, even in ways that were against his self-interest. This is interesting because it is not the truth. When questioned about this later, Brewer was unable to specifically identify any other crime to which Rodney Garrett had purportedly confessed besides the theft from the Hook's property. In fact, as mentioned in Episode 2, Rodney Garrett either outright denied any involvement in any other criminal activity or provided exculpatory explanations for possessing stolen goods, the great majority of which he denied were in fact stolen. And as far as giving information that led to the recovery of stolen property that law enforcement had been unaware of, in reality, most if not all of the property about which Rodney Garrett was questioned was already known or at least believed by law enforcement, to have been stolen. It is also worth pointing out that nowhere in the affidavit for the search warrant was there any mention that David Hooks had reported the theft at his property to law enforcement, 
who then met with him at his residence on September 23rd to investigate, including dusting for fingerprints in the detached garage and vehicles on the property. Anyone reviewing the affidavit, such as the magistrate responsible for issuing the search warrant, could easily have been left believing that Hooks had never reported the theft, lending credence to the idea that he was trying to hide something. All that being said, Sergeant Brewer still did not want to rely on Rodney Garrett's word alone as justification for a warrant. So he added another dimension to his affidavit that was briefly described back in episode two. And here it is again, quoting directly from the affidavit. Quote, Your affiant is familiar with the residence and the occupant of the residence, David Hooks, from a prior narcotics investigation involving Jeff Frazier. During this investigation, Frazier had been interviewed by law enforcement and stated that he had been the source of supply for multiple ounces of methamphetamine to Hooks, which Hooks was redistributing, unquote. Now this seems like compelling information. David Hooks was already known to law enforcement through a previous narcotics investigation. Suddenly, the word of Rodney Garrett seems more meaningful, given this was not the first time Hooks appeared to have been involved with the meth trade. It is powerful stuff, at least until you look at what we know about Jeff Frazier and his mention of David's involvement with meth. First, and undisclosed in the affidavit, the Frazier investigation had taken place in 2009, some five years before the search warrant application sworn out by Sergeant Brewer for the property of David Hooks. In other words, this was old news. More than being very dated information, it was also very weak. Corporal Burris had been the case agent for the narcotics investigation involving Frazier. Indeed, Sergeant Brewer later admitted that his understanding of David Hooks's relation to the investigation of Frazier came primarily, if not entirely, from Corporal Burris's post-arrest interview of Frazier in 2009. Corporal Burris swore under oath, however, that Jeff Frazier, one, never told Corporal Burris that David Hooks had ever distributed drugs to anyone, and two, never told Corporal Burris when and or where he had provided methamphetamine to David Hooks, including whether it was at the Hooks residence or another location. Corporal Burris would further testify that, three, Jeff Frazier's accusations regarding David Hooks were nothing more than a, quote, generalized statement along the lines of, I bring ounces back to David Hooks, unquote. 
before, Jeff Frazier was the only person who had previously accused David Hooks of drug-related activity. Five, there was never any kind of observation, such as a stakeout, uh, controlled purchase, and so on, of David Hooks and or the Hooks residence for any reason, at any time. Six, no information resulted from the investigation that would indicate that the Hooks residence contained equipment related to the manufacture, packaging, cutting, and or distribution of methamphetamine and or currency connected to drug activity. Seven, Corporal Burris admitted, quote, there was nothing uncovered during the course of the investigation of Jeff Frazier that signaled or indicated or in any way suggested that David Hooks had anything to do with Jeff Frazier, unquote. And eight, Burris also admitted that there never was, quote, any information obtained by the Lawrence County Sheriff's Office's drug unit to the effect that there were any drugs at David Hooks's home or on his property other than what Rodney Garrett had to say, unquote. Sergeant Brewer himself, back in 2009, had investigated David Hooks in connection with the Frazier investigation. But by Brewer's own admission later, his involvement consisted only of one driving up onto the Hooks property attempting to make contact with somebody, two, riding through and trying to catch people leaving the Hooks property, and three, attempting to set up controlled purchases from David Hooks. All of these attempts were unsuccessful and failed to corroborate Jeff Frazier's accusation about David. Brewer later admitted that no records exist of even these purported efforts and that no case file was ever opened. When later asked under oath about the fact that Frazier's allegation about David Hooks had come a full five years prior to seeking the warrant, this is what Sergeant Brewer had to say. Quote, in my mind, the Frazier interview had was much more recent than 2009 when I was preparing the search warrant, unquote. The follow-up question was, what had you thinking it was much more recent? And Brewer's answer, quote, I guess because I'm getting old and time goes by a lot faster than I thought. In my mind, it had only been a couple of years since we had interviewed Frazier when this information had come up about Hooks. I was slightly shocked that it was 2009 once I went back and started pulling files for the GBI and everything. Unquote. In other words, Sergeant Brewer had not bothered pulling any files before submitting his sworn affidavit and application for a search warrant. 
As these and other circumstances came into public view, another rally for David Hooks was held on the front steps of the Lawrence County Courthouse in Dublin on Saturday, December 13th, just two months after the October rally and less than three months after the deadly raid. There were a number of speakers, with Hook's family lawyer, Mitch Shook, coming last to the microphone. Before our investigation uncovers the more disturbing the facts seem. In case you couldn't hear due to the poor acoustics of the outdoor rally, what Shook said was the more our investigation uncovers, the more disturbing the facts seem. A short while later, Shook described what happened as the hail of bullets continued while David stepped from one room into the view of law enforcement. You'll hear voices in the crowd respond with their own characterization of what took place. And at the point in time when David came from behind that wall, he was struck in the chest, fell to the ground, and was then shot in the back and shot in the left side of his head. That, that's what these men did that night. That's what we hear about. This man was killed in his own home. One at the rally, a man named Robert Warren, summed up a major lesson that a great many were drawing from the tragedy. Quote, Just doing what everybody does, defending his home, defending his property, defending his family. It could be anybody that that happens to. It's wrong. Something needs to be done. Something needs to be changed. Unquote. In January of 2015, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation completed its work and turned the matter over to the district attorney for Lawrence County. By February, citing a conflict of interest, the DA turned the case over to the Georgia Attorney General, who in turn appointed a special prosecutor named Chuck Spejos. Mr. Spejos was serving as the executive director of the Prosecuting Attorneys Council of Georgia. Earlier in his career, he had been a deputy for a sheriff's office in another Georgia county, after which he served on the police force of that same county as a patrolman, investigator, and SWAT team member. Some considered attorney Chuck Spejos to be a, quote, friend of police. By June of 2015, Spejos took the case to a grand jury, which heard testimony and finished its deliberations that same month. The road to justice would only become rockier. Thank you for listening to Night Raids from True Suspense Podcasts. In our next episode, we will learn what the grand jury concluded, 
review courtroom maneuvers that followed, hear some explosive accusations along with dramatically different versions of how law enforcement came to raid the Hooks residence and shoot David, and as we wrap up, see whether justice was finally served. Stay tuned for Episode 5 of Night Raids to tell the truth. Night Raids is a production of True Suspense Podcasts, written and narrated by me, Arthur Perlstein. Music, sound engineering, and post-production by Guy Bainbridge and Walls End Studios. Be sure to visit truesuspense.com for more information about this podcast and other True Suspense productions.